It's Easter. Happy Easter. I am just getting back from the trip of a lifetime. I had a blast. I'm so thankful, Patrick, for you preaching last week uh, for me. And uh, your message on hospitality was just right on time, very well delivered and everything. But while you guys were here doing that, uh, I was with a group called Maritime Ministries. And Maritime is a group that just loves on people through sailing is mainly what they do, but they invited my son and I to go on a father and son excursion. Uh, They take care of pastors and missionaries too and just kind of give them a break and let them do some vacation type stuff, which I was so thankful for, and they invited us to Puerto Rico. So we spent a week in Puerto Rico. My son is 14 years old. His name is Silas. We had a blast. Um, And the goal is that we get away. We make memories together. Maritime ministry facilitates like devotionals every day and discussions between the dads. It was me and actually one of my best friends, my college roommate, and two of his sons. So we just were able to get away and just just have a blast doing that. Um, Not only did we like grow spiritually and personally, but we also just lived it up like tourists. And so I brought you some pictures, like a crazy old man at the Christmas party. I want to show you some stuff that was going on. Uh, This is one of us, uh, we were hiking in a rainforest, and so look at that water, that's crazy. And it was awesome, we were completely remote, and it was really cool to be back there. We did some snorkeling, I think I got a picture of a beach here. Uh, look, I'm not trying to make anybody jealous, but look at that. It's my son, that's a conch, like it's still alive. Uh, we didn't eat it, we just put it back. But um, And then there's another shot of this beach here, beautiful places we went, did all kinds of stuff. We visited a uh, like 300 year old castle in old San Juan, that was really cool, and toured that place. Um, this is my favorite one, I call it hashtag America. There it is. That's me sailing right there, boy. Um, We just, we loved it. Now, here's the thing. I'm not, A, yeah, maybe you're a little bit jealous, and it's okay, because y'all have better vacations than me anyway. But this was awesome. I had a blast. But I tell you this because I was kind of mad at you in North Carolina when I had to come back and put on long pants and a hoodie this week. Is anybody else frustrated by that? Like, it's like, oh, what happened? It was like 85 degrees off my back porch. I could see the Caribbean Sea, okay? That's the life I was living. I landed in Raleigh. I was like, whoa, turn the heat off. Like, what's going on? I tell that because I think whether... whether you just got back from Puerto Rico or today happens to be the last day of your weekend, I think we all can relate to this feeling of getting back to real life. You know what tomorrow is? Monday. Dun, dun, dun. You know the feeling? It goes like this. Ugh, Monday. <laughs> Remember the old Garfield cartoons? Like Garfield hated Monday, because there's like this vacation life we live on the weekend, or whatever your weekend looks like, or when you get away, but then there's this moment where you got to come back to reality. And so we're kicking off a brand new teaching series this week called Made for Monday, because I think that feeling of, uh Monday is actually a little bit misinformed. I believe God has something to tell us about our nine to five, or whether you are a stay-at-home parent, or a full-time homeschool person, or you're retired, or you're self-employed, and so you're doing the whole like mobile sitting at your desk with like, you know, the microphone on, like whatever you're doing, that is what we do with the most of our life. Other than sleeping, we work the most. And I believe God has a plan for that other than, ugh, Monday. I think God has something to say. And I'm looking forward to unpacking this with you for the next few weeks because, I mean, statistics show that people struggle to find purpose and meaning and joy in their work. In fact, a lot of surveys show that people would say they, quote, hate their job. And we're going to spend some more time digging into that statistics and that kind of stuff over the next few weeks. If you're a guest joining us for the first time today, I hope that you'll come back at least one more time to dive into this because my guess is either you have a job or you need one, 
and you understand, uh, Monday, I really believe that it can be edifying together. To get there today, I want to take some time to talk about Easter. How in the world did these two connect? I believe that this Sunday that we call Easter can do everything to change Monday. And that you were made for Monday. So, speaking of work, have you ever thought about the fact that Easter is the story of God's work for you? If you've never heard that before, I hope that's what you walk away knowing today. We're going to be in the Bible studying some stuff today. So if you've got a Bible, go on and flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew's in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, it's one of the biographies of Jesus. If you need a paper Bible, we are offering some for free. But down back at the coffee bar, feel free to stand up and go grab one. If you need a Bible of your own to have, you can keep it. Take it home with you. We want everybody to have a good Bible. But that is, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. So while you flip over there, let's just give a little bit of background. The story of Easter, and that's what I'm going to call it, the story of Easter. Easter is really about a three-day weekend that Jesus had. And it started on a Friday where things went really south really quick. The things that transpired were gruesome. Jesus is having a meal with his closest followers and suddenly he gets arrested and he gets dragged off to this bogus trial where he is illegally tried for some things and they convict him of uh, blasphemy, which is kind of claiming to have the authority of God. Now, the crime of blasphemy in Jesus' culture was punishable by death. Note, Jesus never denied those charges, claiming to be God. But they decided to execute him by crucifixion. Now that's the first end of the Easter story. Saturday was kind of quiet. It's a holiday every week for the Jewish faith. It's the time of worship, the Sabbath, and so they lay back and they worship. Jesus' followers were either in prayer that day or many of them were scattered and hiding because they were guilty by association of now an enemy of the state, Jesus. And so we're talking about their hiding in just a second. But Sunday morning rolls around, and some ladies from Jesus' entourage decide to go up and take care of the body of Jesus. And that's where we pick up at Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. So if you got that, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Matthew 28, 1 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And then, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. That's another town. There you will see him. Now I have told you. That's the message from the angels. So, the women hurry off from the tomb. They're afraid, yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. But suddenly, Jesus met them. Time out. They had just seen Jesus brutally executed, okay? So I don't want it to be like, oh, hey, there you are. We were looking for you. It's like, what? Okay? I mean, this is, greetings, he said. They came to him. They clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. 
but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Wow. That's a story. That is a story. Now, here's the thing. If you grew up in church, there's a good chance you hear the story about the resurrection of Jesus, and we're like, meh. I heard that story already. And once upon a time, Jesus came to earth as a baby, and then four months later, he rose from the dead. And that's how we do it every year. And you know, it just kind of gets washed away. It's not a very, but if you're not insane, <laughs> this story should blow your mind. Like, I've been to a lot of funerals. Okay, I'm a preacher. I've preached a lot of funerals. I've been to funerals for my family. And there's a common thread through all funerals. And I don't mean to be morbid here, but this is just true. Every single funeral I've ever been to, the person who had passed away remained passed away. Dead people stay dead. That is how it works. That's always how it works. Normal people don't raise from the dead and just be like, greetings, ladies. Like, that's, that is not normal. But Jesus is not normal people. Christians believe that Jesus is God who came in the flesh and that he defeated death and rose from the dead. Is that crazy? It might be. I want to take a minute today to pause on the Easter story and just ask a simple question. Did Jesus rise from the grave? And here's a better question. Why would anyone believe that? <laughs> it's insane. I can tell you this. Historical records, not just like Jewish historical records, but other historians wrote about this event, okay? Something happened. And one of the most common solutions for people who say, well, Jesus didn't raise from the dead, but something happened, they might would suggest that Jesus' body was stolen, which, let's be honest, that sounds a lot more believable than he rose from the dead and said greetings, right? His body was stolen. But as you study the story, you'll find maybe, that this is where I've come, that you might feel otherwise, that maybe the body being stolen isn't the most believable story. Because first, you see, because of the nature of Jesus' trial, uh, he was put in a, a tomb, and the tomb was covered up by a giant boulder, and then that boulder was guarded by two Roman guards, okay? Who, it was there in their best interest to make sure nobody got in. Some believe that if these guys had ever had a body stolen or they had failed at their post, they would be severely punished, possibly killed. So it was in their best interest to guard this tomb. So if the body was stolen, the thieves would have had to, I mean, fight two Roman guards and move a big stone. Not impossible, but it seems unlikely when we start to look at these guys. Like, I love a good heist story as much as anybody. I love the Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, Ocean's 13 movies. I love how they fold out. It's like, whoa, you blew my mind. They had a plan the whole time. But, like, let's talk about these body-stealing disciples, okay? They, they, were not, they were not the Ocean's 11 cast. Uh, these were ordinary guys. They were not trained in combat. More importantly, the only thing we know about them post-resurrection was that they were scared out of their minds, okay? Let's just take a look at Matthew 26, 56. It says, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. And then it says this, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus had been executed by a crime punishable by death. And these guys were guilty by association. We know that the people who were after Jesus were after them as well because we see it happen later in the book of Acts. They were trying to shut down this whole movement. 
So these guys were terrified. Even Peter, Peter was the boldest of the disciples. This is the guy who just recently had attacked a guy with a pocket knife and cut his ear off like the night before. Okay, this guy is kind of nuts though, but he's like all on for Jesus. However, after the arrest of Jesus, he loses all of his gumption. So much to the point that a little girl came to him and was like, hey, I recognize you. Aren't you one of those guys that followed that Jesus guy around and he just got arrested? And you know what Peter said? Uh, you got the wrong guy. Like, that's not me. I don't even know the man. In fact, this happened three times. Peter denies Jesus. So even Peter, the boldest of the disciples, wasn't even willing to confront a little girl about his faith. You know he's not taking on guard you know, armed guards and rolling down. It seems implausible that these guys would have been able to steal that body. But let's say that they did, or something happened, okay? We know that something happened. Do you know the rest of the resurrection story? It's not that Jesus rose from the dead and he spoke to some ladies and then we never heard from him again. No, three days later, these same disciples who were terrified out of their minds Three days later, come back into town proclaiming to the top of their lungs, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Here he resurrected. I saw him. Jesus rose from the dead. And they keep saying it, and they keep saying it, and they keep saying it. And the religious officials and the, and, and the, the legal people were like, stop. Would you please stop saying that Jesus rose from the dead? Would you please, please stop? It's causing trouble. It's causing riots. Things are going on. But these people who had hid in terror because Jesus was dead, suddenly came back with power claiming that he rose from the dead. And why would they do that? Like at the very least, they look insane. Not to mention everybody else around them was like, I mean, we saw him die. <laughs> We've all seen crucifixions. They don't end well for the person on the cross. So why don't you just give it up? But they didn't give it up. They kept saying it and saying it and saying it. In fact, they eventually gained a group of followers who believed what they were saying, called the church. So much to the point where they were continuing to proclaim things in the streets. If you want to read something this week, uh, write this down, the book of Acts chapter 4. Read Acts chapter 4. This is the story of Peter and John. They're just talking about resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. And finally, the religious leaders had had enough. So they arrested Peter and John, and they kept them overnight. They had a trial, and they basically were like, Stop it. <laughs> just, just stop it. And Peter and John were like, no, you're going to have to kill us for us to stop it. Because we saw what we saw. And eventually, those leaders did just that. The first one to go was a guy named James. James was killed for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's my question. Would you die for a lie? I mean, most people wouldn't die for a truth. <laughs> Would you die for a lie? One time when I was in high school, I had just turned 16, and I had this little beater car. It was like rusted in my granddad's backyard until he finally gave it to me. Like, give it to him. He'll kill it. And so it was a tore-up old car. My parents weren't at home. My brother was about 14, and uh, I was like, hey, you want to drive my car? He was like, yeah, of course I do. So I let him drive my car just right there in the driveway. But in the process, uh, he ran my car up onto this really sharp uh, cinder block of a curb thing we have there in my parents' house and busted the tire. I'm 16. This is my first car. I got a flat tire. Now I got to explain to my dad how that happened. 
what do you think I did? Uh, My mom watches this every week, so mom, I don't know if you know this or not. I did not pop that tire. (laughs) It was my brother. I lied. I lied. My kids are in the room. I want to tell you, it will catch you one day, all right? (laughs) But I wouldn't have been willing to give my life for that. It was him. (laughs) He drove it. I gave him the keys. And these disciples now have to decide, do we really believe what we're saying? Because James is dead. Can you imagine that meeting with the disciples, the next one that they had after James had died, and you're just like, listen, guys, James is gone. They're starting to take us out. Like, maybe we should stop. But they didn't stop. They kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And guess what? People kept killing them and killing them and killing them. Three down, four down, five down, six down, nine down. How many of your friends would you let die if you guys were living in a lie? All the way down to the last living of the original 12 apostles, a guy named John. John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation. John was the only of the original disciples that died a natural death. And it was because he got exiled to an island for saying that Jesus rose from the dead. Presumably he died of starvation. The disciples' actions have been one of the greatest reasons that people have found faith in Jesus. The fact that these people were willing to live in this because they saw something that they believed so much that they were willing to lay down their lives. But they weren't the only ones. Did you know that the Bible says that over 515 different individuals saw the risen Jesus? Okay, so we're not talking about like some guy in Montana living in a cabin wearing like moose skin clothes. Like, oh, so uh, so a UFO. Yeah, he talked to me. Like, we're not talking about like some obscure person. No, these are like 515 normal people in public places that saw Jesus. And they talked about it. The Apostle Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 3, verse through 7, chapter 3 through 7. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For what I received, I pass on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture, and that he appeared to Peter and to the twelfth, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 other brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the other apostles. Read between the lines there what Paul is saying. Listen, these people all saw Jesus. And so if you don't believe me, go ask them. They're still alive, and people did. And guess what? They believed it. And they kept saying it, and they kept saying it. I love what Harvard Law professor, a guy named John Montgomery, said. He, he He studied the evidence for the resurrection on his own. This is a legal professional. This is a great quote from him. It says, it passes the bounds of credibility that the early Christians could have manufactured such a tale and then preached it among the very people who might have easily refuted it. Jesus rose from the dead. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. A lot of people saw it. No, they didn't. Uh, yeah, 
Here's a bunch of them. And this guy, John Montgomery, is not alone. Countless people have gone to disprove the resurrection of Jesus and in the process have found faith in him. Come see me later. I'll give you a list of books to read. And it's their stories. Which brings us back to Easter. Easter is not a story about death. It's a story about life. Easter is about God's work to reunite us to his love. What has that got to do with made for Monday and your day job and your nine to five and your weekends and your vacations? Like, like what? So I want to take a look at the same story, the Easter story, but we're going to take a look at the story of Jesus' resurrection through a different lens. The Apostle Paul also wrote to some people living in Ephesus. So if you want to flip over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells what I've started to call the gospel in a nutshell. So in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, he basically tells the whole story of like how God had a plan for our sin. Like that's, that's kind of what Ephesians chapter 2 is about. And so let me just tell you about the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a vile and vulgar place. The city of Ephesus makes Las Vegas look like they're not even trying. Okay, and I'm not exaggerating. Ephesus was... It was rough, okay? And we say at our church, we say we want to shine light in dark places. We say that every single week before we leave. The early church had the same goal. So they went to some of the darkest places in the world, Ephesus being one of them. And Paul writes the church at Ephesus this letter. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. In fact, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? I've had those seasons in my life. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, quick, just pause it right there. God is rich, God is rich in a lot of things. I mean, he owns the whole universe, so there's that. But when Paul talks about God's riches, what does he say God is rich in? What does he say? Mercy. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, one of the most vile places on planet earth at the time. And Paul wants them to know, like, there's hope for you. Because God is rich in mercy. Keep going, verse 5. He's rich in mercy and he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And skip ahead to verse six. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So this is the story of Easter. This is what, when you, when you, uh, when you look at the, the, the story of Jesus raising from the dead, there's a play on words here. God raised us up with Christ and it's a play on words because raise us up is the same thing as resurrection, right? To be raised up. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And verse 7 says, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. And here comes the part that affects your nine to five, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're doing the homeschool thing or you work remotely somewhere or you're retired or you own your own business. Whatever you do all day in your life, this next passage totally affects you. Verse eight, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. 
and this is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, but we are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus, why? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So check this out. God made a trip to planet Earth as a human. He came to pay the price for our sin by dying in our place, a death that we would otherwise need to die, and then raising from the dead to defeat death itself so that we could be given citizenship in heaven, so that we'd be given forgiveness of our sins, so that we could be given grace and ability to enter the presence of God again. Why did he do all that? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He did all of that so that me and you could live in this world and shine his light. He did all of that so that we can be a reflection of his glory in everything that we do. Let's, uh, let's land this plane, okay? Where are we going with this? Why? Who cares? So what? I got three challenges I want to give you today. Three invitations, really. Three invitations. I believe that everyone in this room and everyone online could like accept one of these three invitations today, okay? So I want you to kind of, maybe if you're making notes, make a mental note, see where you can go with this. The first invitation I want to give you is this. You're invited to learn more. So my question is like, have you, do you believe that story I just told you? A guy rose from the dead. He gives us the option to be in the presence of God. Like we got eternity in heaven, like all this stuff. You believe that? Here's the thing. You might not. And guess what? That's totally fine. We're all at different places in our faith right now. And so if you just came with a friend today and you're like, okay, I heard about church. First of all, this is different. We're in a gymnasium. And secondly, this guy's telling me it's okay that I don't have it all together. It's okay that you don't have it all together. None of us do. But you're invited to learn more. So I hope, my hope for you is that you'll find a home in this community or some Christian community nearby. That you'll plug in with people. You'll ask the hard questions. That you'll meet with somebody. In fact, at the end of our service today, a couple of our leaders will be kind of standing near the back of the room. And a couple of you guys who have done that in the past, if you'll just prepare yourself, uh, men and women. And we just have a time where you can kind of go back and talk to somebody. Like, I got some issues. I got some questions. You can do that then. Uh, you can reach out to me. Like, we want people to grow. You're invited to learn more. This is a safe place to do that. That's your invitation. I hope that you'll take it. The second invitation is this, and it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Did you know that you're invited to join in the resurrection? That was the main message of the early church. That we could be resurrected, that we could be like given life, spiritual life. Sin separates us from God, at least the spiritual death, but that through Jesus we can have spiritual life. Let's read it this way. This was in Romans chapter 6. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? After all, God is rich in mercy. Shall we go on sinning? Paul answers his own question. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we go on living in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So baptism is a moment in our Christian walk. It's a, it's a, every single person that we see in the Bible who becomes a Christian, like one of the first things they do is get baptized. And sometimes we're like, I got baptized so I could join this church. I got baptized so I could like make my mom 
Stop begging me to get baptized. I got baptized so I get a certificate because I get a discount for health care or something. Like, whatever. Like, I, you were baptized into his death. That's what baptism is. You joined him. You put your own self down. You said, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave it there. And then it says, you were baptized into death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You weren't baptized to be dead and stay dead. Just like Jesus, he didn't die to stay dead. We come to Christ so that we can have life. Maybe you do believe. You've taken the time, that invitation to learn more. Like we always have that invitation. But maybe you're like, I know enough. I've, I learned enough and I, I feel pretty good about this. Have you made it official with God? God's word says we need to confess that to other people. We need to say, listen, I am in. I am in. We also see the example in Scripture where everyone who does that gets baptized. I love Easter Sunday because for many, many years we have made a trip down to the Atlantic Ocean to baptize somebody on an Easter Sunday. A couple of you are here today. I saw Kayleen, I saw Maria, and maybe there are a couple of others that on Easter Sunday. How exciting is that? Today could be your day. Don't put it off any longer. If you need to know more, ask some more questions. Take some time. God is patient with us. But how cool would it be to put your old self to death and rise to walk in newness of life with Jesus? You're invited to join in the resurrection. Third one is this. You're invited to work. <laughs> that doesn't sound real fun, does it? Oh, Monday. <laughs> we just read it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We were created to do work. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose even in your pain. He's got a story to tell through you. And you're invited to work. To share that story with other people and to invite them to join you in that resurrection. Or to maybe meet them at the phase where they're just learning more. But you were made for Monday. We have a purpose in this world and it is to reflect the glory of the creator of the universe in everything that we do. I know we don't all have it together. That's why God who is rich in mercy makes us alive in Christ. I am looking forward to unpacking more specifics on this teaching series as we keep going. It's a lot of fun, and we're, we're going to find ways that you can specifically use your day job or whatever you do with your time all day to, to actually overcome some of that, like, ugh, feeling and to find purpose. Also, we're going to talk about rest and relaxation. That's a big priority on God's list, by the way. And I hope that you'll join us for the rest of that, but I don't want to lose the value of the resurrection. So I'm going to close with a passage. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says this. He says, if Christ has not been raised... Listen to this. If Christ has not been raised, if there was no resurrection, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But guess what? Our God has not left us with no hope. He's given us reason on top of reason to believe that he rose from the dead, that the resurrection is real, and that you too can have life. So happy Easter. Let's pray.